What's going on? And welcome into a game day edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Sowers, the co-host joined by Jim Eikenhofer of Pelicans.com. The Pelicans welcome in the San Antonio Spurs starting a six-game homestand after a tough road trip for the Pelicans, a one-in-five road trip uh, on the West Coast. But we're also joined today uh, by Matt Bonner, Spurs television analyst, podcaster, curling enthusiast. We'll get to all of that in just a second. But first, Matt, happy game day. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be on. Yeah, absolutely. Let's start with the podcast because I noticed you started one with the Spurs on Spurs.com called Spurslandia. Your first guest was Patty Mills um, as a, a podcaster myself. How did how'd this come about? Well, basically, the Spurs reached out. They wanted a, a new way to reach out to fans. You know how it is with basketball. It, it's a global sport. You have fans all over the world. And the game extends beyond the basketball court. It extends out into culture music, fashion, food, sandwiches, anything, really. So it's just a, a new, fun, creative way to reach out and connect with fans. Is this just a new way for you to talk about sandwiches, just a different platform for you to do all this? Ab- <laughs> absolutely, but don't tell anybody. That's I my won't. main motivation for sure. But uh, much respect to what you do as well. Podcasting is a lot harder than I realized it was going to be. And I keep telling people, For me, it's almost the same approach as when I was a basketball player where, you know, you got to pound the rock, embrace the process, work hard to get better each day. And like a game, there's no like going back and having a do over. You know, you do you do the podcast and whatever happens, you just kind of got to roll with it. You can go back and like a game, you watch the tape and see where you can get better. Same thing with the podcast. You go back, listen pick yourself apart say, I, I can do better here. What was I thinking there? And uh, try to get better for the next one. I've certainly had podcasts like that doing this for six years. So I feel you on that one. Um, but let's talk about the Spurs a little bit. Second meeting between these two teams. But since the Spurs and Pelicans played on December 27th, the Spurs are seven and seven. So kind of in the middle of the pack there. Um, since that game, what have you seen from this Spurs team? I think they've made strides on the defensive end for starters the last three years that's kind of been their Achilles heel and definitely not the usual identity of a Spurs team they're usually known for their defensive execution and uh, system and got kind of got away from that the last few years but they've they've really started to put it together since the bubble they've they've got some guys who are very defensive minded uh, Keldon Johnson plays really hard on both ends of the floor DeJounte Murray can uh, use his length and quickness and, and anticipates passing lanes, gets steals. Devin Vassell, who they drafted, just has an incredible basketball IQ on the defensive end, understands angles, timing, obviously has the physical gifts as well. And then, uh, you know, just a lot of those younger guys having more time in that Coach Popovich defensive system mixed in with, sprinkled in with some vets. They, they're starting to get some chemistry on that end. And offensively, just incredibly unselfish everybody plays together you know the old mantra good to great if if a teammate has a better better shot they're they're making that extra pass any guy on any given night could be the lead scorer so it makes it really hard to game prep I think for the Spurs you can't just like take out one or two guys and expect to win the game so just uh it's it's been really fun watching this team I don't think most of the pundits out there had very high expectations, especially in a loaded Western Conference. But but here they are, like you said, one game above 500 in the top eight at this point in the season. 
And that's with their starting point guard, Derek White, been injured all year as well. So definitely, I think things are looking up for the Spurs. Before I uh, get to Jim real quick here, you mentioned Keldon Johnson and what a a year he's had, you know, in his second year, um, first round pick. You talk about his defense, but he's averaging almost, you know, 15 points per game in in his second season. What has stuck out to him about his growth um, since joining the Spurs? His confidence. Just his, you know, he's always been an energy guy, high motor, just plays relentless on both ends of the floor. But to have the the confidence in himself to be aggressive on offense and shoot threes, never been much of a three-point shooter and still obviously working on his consistency, but not afraid to take him when he's open. And he's had games where he's hit uh, multiple big three-pointers for us. And obviously that just sets up your drive game if you're knocking down the three. Just an incredibly confident guy. And it's, you know, it's funny for me personally, because when I was a player, you had a lot more guys who stayed longer in college. Uh, Myself, I mean, I went all four years and played a year in the Italian league before I even made it to the NBA. So you got to remember, like, these young guys are like 19, 20, 21. And I think back to where I, I was developmentally in the game at that age, and it's just mind boggling how mature some of these guys are, the way they play out there. Matt, you mentioned your playing career, and I know a lot of people, most people identify you with San Antonio for obvious reasons. You won two championships there. You played 10 seasons there. You're obviously now a broadcaster with the Spurs, but as a uh, Syracuse area native, I actually kind of identify you with your Toronto days partly. And I was very pleased to see when I looked on basketball reference and I see it's also on your Twitter account, a couple of your nicknames actually go back to kind of your Toronto days. I was wondering if you could kind of walk people through um, the origins of a couple of them. The first one being, Red, if you could tell us where, where the nickname Red Rocket came from. Yeah, sure. First of all, Syracuse, uh, you know, one of my co-hosts, Rick Renner at Fox Sports Southwest or Sinclair or whatever they're being called right now. Um <laughs> He, he's a Syracuse alum, and he loves to point out that when I did the MB, NBA, MBPA uh, Sportscaster U summer program, that was at the Newhouse School That's of right. Media Syracuse, at Syracuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he tries to claim me as a fellow Syracuse alum. <laughs> um, but obviously a very prestigious broadcasting and media uh, school there. So many people have come out of there and gone on to be successful. But to your question, the Red Rocket. Uh, so in Toronto, you know, I played, I went four years, University of Florida, go Gators. I got drafted in the second round, but in 2003, the same uh, draft as Chris Bosch with the Raptors. But back then there was no G League. So if you were in a situation where you weren't going to make the roster and as a second round pick, you're not guaranteed a contract, that you, you would often go play overseas and that was kind of your G League. And you could go over there for a year, let some roster spots open up. For example, when I got drafted, I think the Raptors had like 17 guaranteed contracts for 15 mm. roster spots. And we're just like, you know, we drafted you. We love you. We just don't have space. So I went and played the Italian league, let some roster spots clear up. I come back. And of course, while I was in Italy, the head coach and GM that drafted me for the Raptors got fired. So then they hired Sam Mitchell as head coach and Rob Babcock as GM. And I basically had to come back to two people who had no allegiance to me and just make the team from scratch, like summer league, 
yep. training camp, the whole nine beat out four other guys in training camp to make the team. And uh, so I'm in Toronto. And for those of you who haven't been to Toronto, it's, it's similar to Manhattan in that it's very metropolitan and it's very annoying, at least in my opinion, to drive, mm-hmm. you know, it, parking's a pain in the butt. It's expensive. Everything's cramped. There's traffic. People like Manhattan, you walk, they have street, uh, and then they have streetcars in a subway system and the, and the streetcars are called are painted red and they call it the red rocket. So because I didn't have a car, I chose not to have a car. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to have a car. I'm just going to walk and take public transit. And uh, I would take the streetcar to the Air Canada Center for games from my, from my apartment. And the TV announcer started calling me the Red Rocket because I have the red hair and I ride the Red Rocket to get to the games. And that's how I got that nickname. And obviously it has stuck for all these years. <laughs> And I, and I think uh, Sandwich Hunter also kind of came from Toronto. Can you kind of explain the story behind that? Well, that, that goes way back. I've always been a sandwich enthusiast. Mm. I consider sandwiches like the most, like one of the universal common denominators, no matter who you are, where you're from, there's sandwiches. People love sandwiches. They grow up eating sandwiches. There's so a million different kinds from all different regions and areas. And people love talking about it. So for me growing up, we called them grinders up in New Hampshire. <laughs> and, uh, you know, every Friday I'd, I'd have basketball after school. And then my dad was a mailman. And, and I remember coming back home after practice, he'd get off work and just be like, hey, Matt, getting roast beef grinders from Vino's. And I just, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, from then on, as all sandwiches, I went to the University of Florida and I, I swear I ate Subway like every single day for four years, just because it was quick, cheap, and somewhat healthy, I think. And, and then it carried over into Toronto. And then actually I started the sandwich hunter with the Spurs. They approached me because they, this is like 2009 or 10 when blogging was a thing. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it still is anymore, but back then it was like blogs. And they're like, Hey, you know, we need some creative content for our website, for our website, not for yeah. social media or anything for our right. website. And, uh, you know, do you have any ideas? And I came up with, you know what? Every time I go to a different NBA city, I want, this is before like Yelp, you couldn't Google maps wasn't a thing. So like I would go to a city and just walk around and try to find like the best sandwich spot. And I'd talk to people. You'd have to actually talk to people on the street, like, or the people at the hotel, like, Hey, where's the best sandwich spot around here? What are you guys known for around here? And I would hunt the the best sandwich in each NBA city we went to. So I started a blog called the Sandwich Hunter Quest for the Hoagie Grail, where I would just write about my adventures going to try to find sandwich, the best sandwich in whatever city we were in. Nice, nice. Did you have a go-to spot in New Orleans? Did you have a, a place that you found, whether it was a po' boy or a sandwich shop? Uh, I used to go to Central Grocery, get a muffaletta okay. usually, because it was pretty close to the hotel. Um you know, pro tip, they close early. So if you had the late game, you had to make sure you woke up from your nap a little early to get there before it closed. Good tip. Matt, you're going to, you might be shocked that I actually know this or remember this given that it's 15 years ago now, but didn't you have a sponsorship deal in Toronto with like Mr. Sub or one of those? Oh yeah. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. So, 
So Mr. Sub is like uh, a sandwich chain in Toronto. And uh, they have this amazing condiment called sub sauce. And it's like it, it changed uh, subs for me. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of like a Italian dressing kind of. But they just throw it all over the top of whatever sandwich you get, and it just makes it ten times better, uh, Mister. I used to smuggle it when, uh, when I any time I go to Toronto, I try to smuggle some back with me. Um, that's how much I like it. But anyways, uh, yeah. So I guess the Mister Sub people had season tickets, and I met him at a season ticket holder event, and we started chatting about sandwiches, and they saw how enthusiastic I was, and so we started this thing, this challenge where. If I could eat a, a Mr. Sub every day for 30 days straight, they donate, I think it was like $5,000 to the Boys and Girls Club. Mm. And it was like a, like a Mr. Sub challenge. And on the 30th day, uh, they invited like the public to come like eat the last, the final sub with me. And that, that awesome. I thought that was cool. I'm like, all right, no yeah. one's going to show up. But it was like packed all these people to see me eat the 30th sub in a row. And uh and then they, they also gave me a stack of 100 coupons for a free sub. And since I didn't have a car and I would walk or take public transit everywhere, anytime I saw, you know, someone on the street struggling or a homeless person, I'd give them some of those coupons to go get a Mr. Sub sandwich and they, they'd be so pumped. So that was pretty cool, too. But so it was a lot of, a lot of synergy going on with that campaign. And I completed the Mr. Sub challenge to boot. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's some great stuff. I, I uh, you you definitely had a lot of memorable. That's there's just different things that stick out in my mind from the time when you were in Toronto. I you you definitely probably don't remember this either, but I remember talking to you. I actually did a phone interview with you when you were with the Raptors, and you told me that the radio station there had a nickname contest, and you were for you, and they were you were telling me that your your siblings were calling in and coming up with like the worst possible nicknames that they could, they could find to try to see if the radio station would get them to pick those. That sounds right. That sounds right. I remember uh, the, the radio station 102, The Edge. It was like their mm -hmm. alternative rock station I'm yeah. sure you're familiar with. And, and on, on Tuesdays, they used to do free pizza. Like mm -hmm. you could just walk and, and you could go there and get free pizza. So I, I made that a habit. I went every Tuesday for like a few months straight to get the free pizza. <laughs> and their their DJ uh, Dave Bookman Bookie, who actually recently passed away, I ended up getting to know him and like become friends. And I'd go in and he'd bring me in the booth and let me play play a bunch of Radiohead songs and stuff. So nice. it was cool. Nice, that's great. Well, to to get to the far less important stuff, I wanted to <laughs> add a couple questions about the Spurs. <laughs> um, what what would you consider to be a successful season? I know you talked about um outside expectations earlier but what what would you what would you say like at the end of the season that this was a successful year for them obviously a championship i mean come on that's why <laughs> that's why they play right uh right. but 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 realistically um i don't want to say that that's impossible you know I, I remember when i was on the raptors and we didn't make the playoffs there was never a time i stepped on the court any night and was like we have no chance at winning tonight you know what i mean mm -hmm. um but I want to see him make the playoffs. I think that's uh, achieve, definitely achievable, a realistic goal, make the playoffs. And, you know, with so many young guys, to see those guys develop and get better and, and make strides, uh, take steps forward in their development for the future of the franchise, I think is important too. 
people have talked a lot over the last, you know, 20 plus years about how the Spurs gradually have adapted their style of play based on the personnel. And obviously this is something that Greg Popovich has been really effective at. How do you see what he's done this season or the last couple of years where the personnel has changed as far as, you know, adapting and kind of shifting the way that they play based on the guys that they have on the roster? Well, that's one of the things that makes Coach Pop one of the all-time greatest coaches is his ability to adapt to the personnel, adapt to the evolution of the game. He's not stuck doing the same thing and stubborn like that. Like, no, this is how we do it. This is how we've always done it. It's like, all right, uh, we need to make adjustments. We need to change this. Um, when I played, we had like so many sets and we played so slow. I'm sure you remember back in the day uh, in, in like the mid 2000s. I mean, we'd fast break maybe if we had it, but otherwise it was like walk the ball up and we're going to out execute you. We're going to set the solidest screens. We're going to cut the hardest. We're going to play together and we're going to slow the game down and, and beat you like that. Mm-hmm. Now with, with all these young athletic fast guys, not that Tim Duncan wasn't fast, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's like, all right, let's trim the playbook. Now there, there's hardly any sets. It's more free flowing, uh, not playground, but like just pace, go uh, attack, kick, play together and, and just go out and, and hoop. And that's, that's how these guys gain an advantage. So being able to make adjustments like that, for example, are, are what make him a great coach. A couple more things for, uh, for you before we let you go, Matt. Um, looking at tonight's matchup, the last time these two teams play, 98-95, um, a defensive effort from both teams. Now the Spurs were coming off the second game of a back-to-back. Same goes for tonight. But what intrigues you about tonight's matchup here in New Orleans? I, I want to see them take a step forward from second game of the year. You know, this is – Let's, let's see if they have been making progress from the first time we, we played e- each other. Um, I'm sure New Orleans, same thing. Uh, it, I don't like having to play them on the second night of a back-to-back with traveling. That's, that's a pain in the butt. But the Spurs have a lot of depth. I mean, I'm sure you guys have done your homework. Our, our bench unit has been playing insane. We have, like I talked about earlier, so many different guys can be the X factor on any given night and have a big night on offense. So Coach Pop has a lot of strings he can pull. And, and then on top of that, all the young guys, they shouldn't be getting tired anyway. Like, you know, just go out and hoop. So I don't, I don't like using those excuses. Um, but I want to see, you know, kind of a measuring stick, like how have we improved from the second game of the year to now? I was actually going to ask you about that because there's so many people that talk about the rest advantage, which the Pelicans have tonight in the second night of a back-to-back. You dealt with it in your career. Is it overrated or is there something to the fact that, you know, one team will have a rest advantage, one team's flying in and has a back-to-back? What was your stance on that? I think there is an advantage. For me personally, I never truly got to experience it because I never played 35, 38 minutes a night. You know, I was like a 20 to 25 minute a night guy with that amount of minutes playing a back-to-back was no biggie, but uh, you know, if you have guys that are playing hard for 35 minutes, I I think it does make a difference, especially with travel. You you know, you're traveling, you're getting in late, you're not sleeping in your own bed. That affects your sleep quality. Um, So, so I think it it can, but again, I don't like to use it as an excuse because everybody's playing with the same parameters. Everybody, everybody in the league, every team in the league has to play back-to-backs at some point has to travel and play a, a, a back-to-back. 
you know, now with the condensed schedule, you have to do a five, five games and seven nights. I think the Spurs are, I think we're in game two of that right now. And I remember in 2011, the lockout season, we did back to back to backs. So there's no, there's no uh, whining on the yacht. Right. Right. That that was my first season as a broadcaster. And that back to back to back was just like, my word, it was four games and five nights all the time. I loved it. it. No practice. Just go yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you, you mentioned the young team of the Spurs. This is the last question I promise. But what have you seen from Zion Williams and his growth playing around 40 games now in his young career? I know you're focused on the Spurs, but I'm sure you'd be able to see him on the nationally televised games. What have you seen from, from Zion and his play? Again, just obviously incredibly naturally gifted. Um, the thing I like and the thing that I like to talk about as a, as a player aren't like, oh, well, this guy can just – he can jump high. He can dunk it on everybody. He has an awesome handle. I like talking about, like, the intangibles. Like, are you a good teammate? Are you a good person and role model in the community? Do you work hard? Are you trying – do you understand I'm only 20 or 21 or whatever? I have a long ways to go to reach my potential as a player. I have to put in that work. I have to work uh, during the season to get better. I have to work in the off season. That's probably more important than anything. I have to continue taking steps forward, you know, for another decade plus to reach my potential as a basketball player. And that remains to be seen with him. I I think he's obviously moving in the right direction. Everything I hear, I don't know him personally, but all you hear is like high character guy, hard worker. And, And I think that as a foundation is more important than anything when you're young and you have that much natural gift and, and talent. And uh, coming into year two, obviously kind of taking the, the chains off him with the minutes restrictions and being healthy, it gives him a chance to get out there and get more experience, get more reps, which is only going to serve him well moving forward. All right, that's Matt Bonner, of course, television analyst for the San Antonio Spurs, host a podcast now called Spurslandia. And obviously, I think we might have talked about sandwiches more than basketball today, but that's okay with me. <laughs> As I'm now getting hungry uh, as we approach lunchtime. Matt, I really appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. All the best. Great stuff there from from Matt Bonner, again, Spurs television analyst there. And, uh, again, really funny guy. And I know Jim, you know, has been covering the game for a while, been able to interview Matt. And, you know, the fact that we got to talk about sandwiches was was certainly a lot of fun. Uh, But, Jim, we focus on tonight's game between the Pelicans and the Spurs. And, after a long road trip, and again, for the Pelicans, these new COVID restrictions come out right in the heart of the Pelicans' long road trip, and they, you know, it, it's hard for them to adjust, uh, you know, the fact that they can't leave the hotel room and things like that. No excuses, but at the same time, now you're home for six games after your longest road trip. Now you have your longest homestand of the first half of the season, and hopefully a little home cooking will get this team going. For sure, and I, I mean, I can't imagine there's a team in the, around the league that's happier to be able to come home than the Pelicans after being on the road for as long as they were. And unfortunately the results of the games that they've lost the last three. And then Saturday obviously was pretty forgettable performance to, to lose to Minnesota the way that they did. So um, I, I look at this homestand as kind of hopefully a chance to get back into, you know, good form. Um, they're, you know, five games under 500 right now. You, you're probably not going into the same, like, Hey, we need to win all six games, but if they can put together a decent stretch and get back closer to 500, I think they'll be in a lot better position. As far as tonight goes, I mean, people talk about 
all the time in the NBA that the first game back home game back from a long road trip is kind of like another road game, but hopefully that won't be the case for the Pelicans and that they'll bring the energy. I mean, this there, there's definitely one thing that Brandon Ingram term that he uses all the time that I notice if you pay attention closely to his interviews is sense of urgency. I can't imagine there's a, a better time for the Pelicans to show that than tonight in the game against the Spurs. I mean, they, they gotta, they have to play better. They have to play better defense and, I mean, I hate to say this in the 16th game of the season, but they really need to get a win too. Yeah, I think sense of urgency is a great term to describe. I think the first 12 minutes of tonight's game will, will maybe set the tone for the rest of the game. We never know that just because of the NBA is such a game of runs that you saw what happened against the Jazz. Pelicans got a 43-31 and kind of things unraveled after that. But you look at the Jazz and how they're one of the best teams in the Western Conference right now. And again, a really tough schedule. They played four of their six games on that road trip were against the top three teams in the Western conference. And, and the Spurs are a really tough team, but I'm really excited because I think the best way to move on from a rough road trip is to go back out there and play. And, you know, with this condensed schedule, they don't have much time to think about um, what happened and now it's time to get back on the road so, or get yeah. back at home. And, you know, I think the home road thing has been downplayed this year, rightfully so. But one thing I noticed from looking at the standings this morning is that, the Pelicans have played the fewest home games in the league. So maybe it's not so much of a home court advantage thing this year, as much as it is that they could take advantage of the comfort of being in the same place now for 10, 11 consecutive days here, and hopefully get in a little bit more practice time and, and maybe be able to benefit from that. So, I mean, they have to take advantage of this stretch. They also have eight of the next nine at home before they have a, a three game road trip in kind of mid February around the end of what would normally be a, a Mardi Gras right. uh, culmination. So um, this is really important that they, that they, they get a bunch of wins in these next couple of weeks so that they can get back into a position where we can start talking about the playoff race and the play-in race. You make a great point about routine. I mean, a lot of these guys are used to getting up, going to the practice facility, whether it's a, pra a game day or not getting their work in. Um, you know, the fact that they haven't had that for two weeks, haven't been in their own beds um that stuff goes a long way and so i think uh, hopefully it kind of rejuvenates this team as they get ready for that six game home stand if you don't remember this game was moved back a little bit of course we had west coast games jim so we should be used to the late starts but now tonight yeah. 8 p.m between the pelicans and the spurs of course you can watch it on fox sports new orleans or listen on espn new orleans 100.3 fm with pregame coverage starting at 7 30 also uh, as you're taking in this podcast, there's probably a shoot around update from Jim on pelicans.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim underscore Eichenhofer. And then uh, we'll have another podcast for you on Wednesday as the Pelicans welcome in the Washington Wizards. All right. Good stuff today from Matt Bowner and for Jim Eichenhofer. I'm Daniel Sallers. And thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.